This episode of The Law is sponsored by the great people over at Water's Edge Winery and Bistro, located at 2101 East Arapahoe Road, Suite 101, Centennial, Colorado. Now, if you're traveling west on Arapahoe, it's just past University Boulevard. I've been there many times. I love it. Love the wine. Love the food. Tell them DK Williams from The Law sent you. Welcome to The Law with DK Williams, giving the courts credit when they get it right calling them out when they get it wrong. Welcome back to The Law. I'm DK Williams, and this is episode 83. We're going to talk about a United States Supreme Court case from 1886, and it's called Presser versus Illinois. As always, The Law with DK Williams is brought to you in collaboration with Speakeasy Ideas. And you can subscribe to The Law through your favorite podcast app and at speakeasyideas.com slash the law. When you go to your uh, podcast app, search for Speakeasy Ideas and you'll see The Law right there. And you can follow this podcast on social media. On Twitter, it's at the law, DKW, and on Facebook.com slash the law with DK Williams. I'm available for speaking engagements, consulting, teaching. Contact Bethany at speakeasyideas.com for details. Likewise, contact Bethany if you'd like to contribute to our work here at The Law with DK Williams via a sponsorship like the good people at Waters Edge Winery and Bistro. We love them. Now, this is a case you might occasionally see on social media, other places on the internet, with the assertion that a state can ban private militias or even guns. And that's why you should never take legal scholarship from a Facebook meme or Twitter. This case is no longer good law. It has not actually been specifically overridden, but the entire context of the incorporation of the Bill of Rights, which, as you guys know, is more appropriately called the Bill of Restrictions because it grants no rights, it restricts government authority. But after the 14th Amendment was passed, after the Civil War, over the next century and more, the U.S. Supreme Court slowly incorporated one by one the rights protected in the Bill of Rights to the states. Because originally, they had no application to the states whatsoever. When this case was decided, the 14th Amendment had been passed, but that process of incorporation had not started yet. So that's important, like, legal historical context to know. So like I always say and why I always put a link to the text of every case we talk about, read the cases you actually want to understand or that you care about. Now, reading a case may raise additional questions. It should. But answering those questions... And reading the original document is how one begins to understand, not by clicking like on a meme with one line plucked from a 50-page opinion. So like I was saying, the landscape has changed completely since 1886 when this case was decided. So this case is about, among other things, the Second Amendment and the right for people to form militias. For that historical timeline perspective, 14th Amendment was passed in 1868, and that has a major impact on the application of the U.S. Constitution to the states. And that was passed 20 years before this case was decided. In legal terms and historical terms, 14th Amendment was still relatively new in 1886 when this case was decided. The way the court has treated the 14th Amendment has changed substantially since then. And we've talked about the 14th Amendment many times in many of the cases we've covered here on these podcasts. So the 14th Amendment undoubtedly substantially changed the U.S. Constitution. So when people try to pick one line from this 1886 case, remember or know that it wasn't until 2008 that the U.S. Supreme Court held that the Second Amendment is an individual right, irrespective of any militia membership. So this tying up of militia with the right to keep and bear arms 
hadn't been decided and wasn't decided in this 1886 case. Now, we discussed the D.C. versus Heller case, which said the Second Amendment is an individual right, not tied up with any membership in a militia, in episode 36. So check that one out. Now, the thing about D.C. v. Heller was it was dealing with federal law, because D.C. is a federal enclave. Two years later, in 2010, the Supreme Court said that the Second Amendment, now that we know it's an individual right, does apply to the states via the 14th Amendment. They got around to incorporating the Second Amendment to the states in 2010. We covered that in episode 37, which is McDonald versus Chicago. So we did those back to back. 36 was D.C. v. Heller. 37, McDonald versus Chicago. Those cases are what control militias and the Second Amendment now, not this 1886 case, although it's it still has some language that applies to other issues, specifically severability, which we will talk about. So when you see gun control advocates still cite this presser case from 1886, they're doing it erroneously. Dave Koppel, the Second Amendment expert here at the Denver-based Independence Institute, wrote about this uh, case on his blog, and he said, gun control groups work so hard to take presser and other cases, out of context, and to invent claims that these cases mean there is no right to bear arms at all. Well, he goes on to point out that's just absolutely wrong. So some background on this case from Koppel in his article. The late 19th century was a period in which state governments resorted to increasingly violent means to suppress organized labor. Now, this is an important backdrop, right? Unsurprisingly, Koppel continues, many labor groups formed self-defense organizations which is what Presser was in. National Guard units and other state paramilitary forces, and occasionally the U.S. Army, were used to suppress strikes. Most workers' organizations were not interested in overthrowing the government, but only in protecting their right to choose to bargain collectively for decent working conditions and fair wages, Koppel's rights. One prong of the governmental effort, Koppel goes on, to suppress organized labor was a ban on armed parades in public. Illinois was one of the states that enacted such a ban, making it a crime for bodies of men to associate together as military organizations or to drill or parade with arms in cities and towns unless authorized by law. So that's an important backdrop for what is going on here with Presser. He was in one of those organizations. And note that the Illinois statute would allow such parades if you had a permit, if you had permission. Of course, they weren't going to give it to a socialist pro-labor group. Not in Chicago, not in Illinois, not back in 1886 in that era. So the violation of this military parading law was what Herman Presser was charged with and he was convicted of by the state of Illinois. And that was um, conviction was upheld by the Illinois State Supreme Court. And then it came up to the U.S. Supreme Court here. At the U.S. Supreme Court, it was a 9-0 unanimous opinion. Let's talk a little bit about the Supreme Court justices because I like to personalize these people or, or at least make some effort to. The opinion was written by Justice William Woods. He was on the Supreme Court from 1880 to 1887, so for only almost eight years, not for decades like sometimes they are. He had been nominated by Rutherford Hayes, and prior to that, he was on the Fourth Circuit, and he had been nominated by U.S. Grant to the Fourth Circuit, and then Hayes eventually picked him up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Woods died in office at the age of 62. So I know, especially recently, these Supreme Court justices sometimes hold on till they die and they get really old. Well, this guy died, but he was only 62, so he died young. Woods had been a general for the Union during the Civil War. Obviously, if he had been a general for the Confederacy, probably would not have been on the U.S. Supreme Court later. Also on the Supreme Court, in this unanimous opinion, the Chief Justice was Morrison Waite. There's an E on the end of that. I assume it is silent. Otherwise, it could be Waitee. He was 
On the court from 1874 to 1888, he had been nominated by Grant. He hung on until he died at the age of 71. Samuel Miller, also on the court. He had been appointed in 1862 by Lincoln, and he stayed on the court until he died in 1890 at 74 years old. Also on the court, Stephen Field. He was on the court for 34 years. He had been nominated by Lincoln in 1863 and stayed on it until he died in 1897. And when you look these guys up, I just must comment on the impressiveness of their hair and facial hair on these guys. Joseph Bradley, also on the Supreme Court, he was on there for 22 years from 1870 to 1892. He was nominated by Grant, died in office. He hung on until the end at age 78. John Marshall Harlan, the first. I mentioned him frequently. You have to say the first because his grandson with the same name was also on the Supreme Court much later. Mentioned him a lot. He was the lone dissent in Plessy versus Ferguson, an eight to one decision, which upheld or started the separate but equal doctrine. We discussed that one in episode seven. He was on the court from 1877, nominated by Rutherford B. Hayes until he died at age 78 in 1911. So he made it into the 1900s. Three more guys on the courts. Stanley Matthews from 1881 to 1889. So only about eight years. Nominated by Garfield. Died in office at 64. Horace Gray, the eighth guy. Nominated by Chester Arthur. He was on the court from 1882 to 1902. He also made it to the 1900s when he died at age 74. None of these guys retired, apparently. They all died in office. Finally, Samuel Blatchford. Also nominated by Chester Arthur, he was on the court from 82 to 93 when he died at the age of 73. So that's who we're dealing with here. Some of these guys were appointed during the Civil War, some just after the Civil War. So you can see the backdrop of the historical landscape. So what did the Supreme Court say in here? In this case, Justice Woods explains, Herman Presser, the plaintiff in error, was indicted on September 24th, 1879 in the Criminal Court of Cook County. Illinois, which is where Chicago is, right? I know that from the Blues Brothers. For a violation of the following sections of Article 11 of the military code of that state. An impertinent part, it says, it shall not be lawful for any body of men whatever to drill or parade with arms in any city or town of the state without the license of the governor thereof. And Presser was in a group that was parading with arms without license without permission of the governor. Presser objected that the Illinois statute under which he was convicted was unconstitutional, and he had a whole bunch of arguments. Most of them were pretty quickly dismissed. Took it up to the U.S. Supreme Court. U.S. Supreme Court disagreed with him, said the Illinois statutes were constitutional, and he could be convicted under them for two main reasons, at least for our, our discussion. One, the Illinois statute didn't affect the, the right to bear arms under the Second Amendment. You could still bear arms, you just couldn't parade around in them. And at this point, the right to bear arms, none of the Bill of Rights had been, the Bill of Restrictions, had been incorporated to the states. And so the federal enumerated power regarding militias was also not violated by the Illinois statute because the militia is everybody, and they do say that, everybody who can handle a firearm, can carry a firearm, is in the militia. And that this Chicago conviction did not violate or entrench upon the federal government's ability to do that, to maintain a militia. And in the D.C. v. Hiller case and the Chicago v. McDonald case, both decided in the last, within the last 12 years, they mentioned that as well. The, the militia is everybody. What was Presser's punishment? What did the statute allow for? If you are convicted of that statute, you can be punished by a fine not exceeding the sum of $10 or by imprisonment in the common jail for a term not exceeding six months or both. 
Presser was given the full fine, no jail time, and $10 in 1887 is almost $260 today. Inflation is killer. The Supreme Court describes Presser as 31 years old, a citizen of the United States and of the state of Illinois, and a voter. Well, good for him. He belonged to a society called, now this is in German, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, the society called Lehr und Wehrer Wehren. So that's L-E-H-R, Lehr und, which even I know is and, Wehrer, which is a W, because I know they say those V, W-E-H-R, Lehr und Wehrer, Wehren, V-E-R-E-I-N. Anyway, I googled the translation, and it's simply the Educational and Defense Society. Very innocuous name. What was this Lehrer und Wehren? From Wikipedia, they said it was a Chicago-based socialist military organization founded in 1875. The group had been formed to counter the armed private armies of companies in Chicago, basically breaking up strikes, right? So that's who they are. Presser led a company of about 400 people in the streets of Chicago. He was riding on horseback and in command, according to the Supreme Court. The company was armed with rifles and Presser with a cavalry sword. Quite the spectacle, I am sure. And we've had a lot of protests in the streets lately, and that is nothing new. Protesting in the streets is American. Vandalism, however, is not. Supreme Court goes on that the company, this group of people being led by Presser, had no license from the governor of Illinois because didn't get permission. No permission to drill or parade as part of the militia of the state and was not a part of the regular organized militia of the state, nor a part of troops of the United States and had no organization under the militia law of the United States. All that was very relevant to the Supreme Court saying Illinois can prevent them from doing this. And whenever I see license, licenses being necessary, my ears perked up because licenses are, are permission from the governor and the governor can give permission to who he wants, right? I mean, it could, you can fight that, but still, that's a lot of discretion for the governor or the government in general, the bureaucrats who hand these things out, if they have discretion, which they often do. Supreme Court tossed out some oppressors' arguments quickly and they discussed severability which is something very important to the Obamacare case, the Affordable Care Act case, currently be pending before the Supreme Court. Now, we covered that case at the district court level in episode 17, and then it went up to the circuit court level, and by that time, we were all, all the way up to episode 64. Back then, it was called Texas versus U.S. I'm not sure how it's stylized before the U.S. Supreme Court right now, but they're going to be hearing arguments on this. Go check those out for the full analysis of them. So the case before the U.S. Supreme Court now is how much, if any, of the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, can be severed from the unconstitutional individual mandate with no tax attached to it anymore? How much of it, if any, can be saved? So that was relevant now, or it is relevant now, and it was relevant back then, the severability issue. Supreme Court in Presser said, we have not found it necessary to consider or decide the question thus raised as to the validity of the entire Military Code of Illinois. For, in our opinion, the sections under which the plaintiff in error was convicted may be valid, even if the other sections of the act were invalid. So you see the severability part. That's bad, but this part is still good. The court goes on. For it is a settled rule, still settled, that still applies to the Obamacare Act. Supreme Court will be hearing this term. It is a settled rule that statutes that are constitutional in part only will be upheld so far as they are not in conflict with the Constitution, provided the allowed and prohibited parts are separable. There you go. Supreme Court in 1886, in this Presser case, found them separable. The parts that Presser was arguing about, 
And now the Supreme Court here and decision will probably be in 2021. We'll say if the Affordable Care Act is separable or not, severable or not. I think the ACA will be severed and most of it will be saved. I don't think it's going to be that controversial, but we'll see. Stand by. We will cover it when the opinion is released. The court in Presser said, We think it clear that these sections under consideration, which only forbid bodies of men to associate together as military organizations or to drill or parade, with arms in cities and towns, unless authorized by law, without permission from the government, those sections do not infringe the right of the people to keep and bear arms. That's important. So it's okay under the Second Amendment for Illinois to ban civilians from drilling or parading because that doesn't affect the ability to keep and bear arms. The court in 1886 continued, but a conclusive answer to the contention that the Second Amendment prohibits the legislation in question lies in the fact that the amendment is a limitation only upon the power of Congress and the national government and not upon that of the state. So that was the case back then. It is no longer the case. Talked about the incorporation. There'd been no incorporation of the Bill of Rights restrictions. Despite the existence of the 14th Amendment and the Supreme Court's subsequent incorporation of most of the rights listed that the government cannot infringe upon in the Bill of Restrictions. So again, episode 37, McDonald versus Chicago, did incorporate the Second Amendment to be applicable to the states. It is not applicable back here when Presser's case is being heard. And I want to point out this language in Presser. The Supreme Court says, The right of the people to keep and bear arms is not a right granted by the Constitution. Neither is it in any manner dependent upon that instrument for its existence. That is crucial, and so many people do not get that. The Constitution doesn't grant any rights. The Second Amendment doesn't grant the right to keep and bear arms. You have that right. What the Constitution does, the Bill of Rights restrictions, restricts the government from infringing upon your already existing rights because you're born. You have the rights because you're born, a natural right. You have all kinds of other natural rights as well that the government may not infringe upon. Just because they're not listed in the first 10 amendments to the U.S. Constitution does not mean they do not exist. And when, even when people talk about like the right to a jury trial, it's really not a right. It's a limit on government. Government cannot punish you criminally unless the government provides you a jury. So the right to a jury trial is really a limitation on the government. The government cannot cage you after conviction unless the government provides you a jury. Also, the right against self-incrimination it's not really a right to remain silent. What it is, is a prohibition on the government from making you speak. It is a prohibition on the government from using your silence against you in a criminal case. So I think those are, those are important distinctions. What is a right and what is government authority? And what are limits on the government authority? The court in Presser goes on. This part is no longer accurate, but the court wrote back then. The Second Amendment declares that it shall not be infringed the right to keep and bear arms. But this, as has been seen, means no more than it shall not be infringed by Congress. So that was the case back then. No longer the case because Supreme Court McDonald v. Chicago case, which we covered in episode 37. And if anyone tries to cite this presser case in some anti-gun point, because there's language they can pick out of it, read this part to them from presser. It is undoubtedly true that all citizens capable of bearing arms constitute the reserve military force or reserve militia of the United States. 
And in view of this prerogative of the general government, the federal government, as well as of its general powers granted to it in the Constitution, the states cannot, even laying the constitutional provision in question, the Second Amendment, even ignoring that, keeping it out of view, states cannot prohibit the people from keeping and bearing arms. That's huge. And that's still true. That part is still true. So keep that part in mind. Hey, write it down. Put it on a card. It is undoubtedly true that all citizens capable of bearing arms constitute the militia of the United States. Period. There you have it. So anything they can pick out, you can trump with that phrase, that sentence. The court goes on that states may not prohibit the people from keeping and bearing arms and that the militia is not a select uniform force organized by the government, but it consists of all citizens capable of bearing arms. And, and here's another part I find instructive because it seems most people today have no idea this part is true as well. Court says, a state has the same undeniable and unlimited jurisdiction over all persons and things within its territorial limits as any foreign nation. So states are sovereign. They're not mere political subdivisions of the federal government. The federal government did not exist and say, hey, we're going to divide up the country into states so they can act as political subdivisions of the big government. It is the exact opposite of that. The federal government was created by the states to serve the states, not the other way around. And that's why there are specific, limited, enumerated things the federal government can do. Everything else the states can do. Federal government cannot Unfortunately, that has been turned on its head. See episode five of the law, where we discussed Wickard versus Filburn, where that entire concept was excised from the Constitution by the Supreme Court in that era. And since the Electoral College has been in the news, the federal government is a creation by the states to serve the states. That's another reason the Electoral College should be protected. And we've covered the whole Electoral College thing and Michael Baca's rogue elector status and his journey to the U.S. Supreme Court, which ruled against him, but we covered that in multiple episodes. Peruse the list at speakeasyideas.com slash the law for those cases. Had a lot of fun with those. Interviewed Michael Baca in one of them. So the presser case concluded. It is clear that their object, their Illinois, Illinois' object, was to forbid voluntary military associations unauthorized by law from organizing or drilling and parading with arms in the cities or towns of the state. So apparently you could do it in an unincorporated area. So that was the object. It was not to affect the possession or the ability to bear or use arms in any way outside of parading in a city. So Presser's conviction stands along with his $10 fine, which is $260 today. So this is one of those cases you might see periodically, see a line without any context purporting to stand for some broad legal proposition that the state can ban militias. If you see a quotation like that or any other quotation from any other case separated from its context, be dubious. Read the case to see how that portion of the opinion is situated. I'm D.K. Williams, and this has been The Law, Episode 83, Presser versus Illinois, a U.S. Supreme Court from 1886. This episode of The Law has been sponsored by the good people at Water's Edge Winery and Bistro, located at 2101 East Arapahoe Road in Centennial. Love the wine, love the food. That's the Water's Edge Winery and Bistro, located just west of the Arapahoe and University intersection in Centennial. We're brought to you in collaboration with Speakeasy Ideas, and let me know what you think. Go to Twitter at TheLawDKW. I will hit you back. Or go to Facebook.com slash TheLawWithDKWilliams. I'm available for speaking engagements, consulting, and teaching. Contact Bethany at speakeasyideas.com for details, or if you'd just like to sponsor this podcast.
And while I'm thinking about it, I did three Denver debates. Denver decides debates that were recorded by the Denver Community Access Television Station that are available on YouTube. Look for DK Williams. Denver decides. Two were about potential sales tax increases, one to help the homeless and one to combat global warming. Yeah, I know. Go go listen to the debates. Uh, and the third one was about the national popular vote, which will also be on the ballot. It is on the ballot, so people are done with them. I've already turned them in. Um, I opposed the national popular vote, and I opposed the two sales tax increases. Until next week, my friends, freedom is dangerous. Live dangerously. Dangerously.